Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first Skewed and Reviewed SKU chat of 2021. I'm your host, Gareth von Kallenbach, creator of Skewed and Reviewed, and you could catch us online at sknr.net as we cover movies, games, television, travel, entertainment, conventions, and all things pop culture. Well, you can also catch me each week on BJ Shea's Geek Nation on KSWFM Radio. We have the simulcast on our site. You can either go to kswfm.com get it. You can check out any of the streams or downloads they have available at many outlets. And of course, we have it simulcast on our page. There are 12 newspapers we take part in in Pinal, P-I-N-A-L central.com, keyword skewed. And finally, we also have our skewed and reviewed magazine. We just put out the most recent issue a few weeks ago, and uh, that comes out quarterly. You can get it at Barnes & Noble, Magster, MagCloud, places like that. So as we are in the first of the year, we don't have uh, the same amount of news volume that we normally would. A lot of our reps are still down and won't be back until next week and probably the week after um, due to CES online. So usually, you know, outside of CES, January tends to be pretty quiet until the later stages of the month. You also have the fun fact that we're not having theatrical film releases right now and all that other lovely stuff. And on top of that, uh, Michael is still out attending to uh, the family matters and you have um, Joseph is busy because uh, he has to uh, take care of some family matters as well. So that has Justin and I uh, back again as we were next week. We have a probably smaller than usual show, but we have a lot of stuff to talk about. So let's start off, Justin, with the news this week that obviously with the um, virus surging again in Los Angeles with uh, shows ready to resume production coming off the holiday break, they were asked by the local authorities to consider voluntarily suspending resumption of filming for shows in the Los Angeles area. And uh, no surprise, many of them did uh, agree to do this. So you have several uh, high-profile shows from the Orville to This Is Us that have agreed to suspend production. Now, supposedly, it may only be one to three weeks or so, but... In the uh, situation where you have a show like The Orville, which um, didn't have fresh content last year, was moving to Hulu, and still doesn't have a firm release date, what do you make of this? Yeah, so, you know, this is obviously just one of the, the tough things that we're going to have to just sort of deal with until uh, the numbers really kind of go down in significant ways. Um, I can't imagine how sort of difficult and challenging it is for uh, a lot of different production companies and studios to kind of go through this because, you know, they have tight schedules and it messes up their, you know, what things they have available on their streaming services and channels and, and everything like that. Uh, you know, and as you probably know, like production is, is uh, a very, um, you know, time sensitive, uh, you know, you can't do one thing, you can't do, you know, the next portion until the first portion's done kind of thing. So um, it's obviously going to be a huge hit for them. But at the same time, you know, uh, 
if they're not the only ones affected by this, you know, restaurants are, are still closed and all sorts of industries are, are deeply affected. And, you know, you can't really get around the fact that, you know, filming requires a lot of people to getting together uh, for long periods of time. Um, so, uh, you know, until, until the numbers kind of go down and everything is a little bit safer, this sort of just makes sense. And um, we're just going to have to sort of put up with the, uh, or just have to deal with the fact that a lot of the stuff that we really want to see, uh, we're just gonna have to wait a little bit longer for. Yeah. So what, uh, the official terms were supposedly there were shows that were going to start next week, but they're going to delay at least a week. Some of them will not resume until well into the back half of January. And some of the names mentioned were shameless, which interestingly enough is in its final, uh, getting ready for its final season. So, you know, that could delay things. Uh, uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which has already had uh, issues with the fact that they essentially decided to rework a big part of the show uh, to take into account the uh, topics of, uh, you know, police brutality, things and so on like that. Um, you've got the Orville, which had started filming before the pandemic, shut down, resumed filming, took a break for the holidays. Uh, and is getting ready. Uh, you, Mom, Good Girls, This Is Us, American Horror Story, 911, Love Victor, Grace Anatomy, Blackish, Last Man Standings, Mayans, uh, Station 19, and other ones. So um, the interesting thing about it, too, is it's this is in the LA County uh, stuff. They've also told people, hey, let's not go and do a lot of location shooting as well at this time because that in many ways is even more risky because it takes you out of the bubble. Now, interestingly enough, you do have shows that are filming up in Vancouver. And as I understand it, those are still continuing. Uh, I asked someone up there, what's going on with the CW shows? You know, you've got Supergirl, you've got The Flash, Lois Superman, uh, Black Lightning, so on and so forth, uh, Riverdale, the list is pretty endless. Uh, I was told it's kind of a mixed bag at the moment. Someone said, well, Katie Sackhoff just did an online thing where she, you know, showed her uh, travel from Canada back down home and so on and so forth. And I said, right, but Katie's not a regular character. She's a reoccurring character. So for her being gone for an extended amount of time really doesn't um, necessarily reflect that filming has been suspended. Uh, you have shows like out in Hawaii, Magnum PI, as far as I know, that is still going on. Uh, it'll be interesting. And my thought on this, and obviously safety first, but as you said, Justin, this is indeed a business. And I look at something like Stumptown. This was a show that was heavily hyped at Comic-Con 2019. Uh, side of buildings, everything. I got to see the panel for it, really enjoyed it. They, I mean, they were really early in production. They had a sizzle reel. And I remember one of the cast members said, they kept asking him during the question, what is it like to work with this person? And he kept saying, I don't know. I don't report to work until Monday. My first day of filming is Monday. This is actually the first time I've been around the, you know, the main core of the cast. The show was renewed and then they went ahead and canceled it because the, as it was explained, the, difficulties in getting it back up and into production were going to make it almost impossible to reach the fall date. 
and the studio decided, you know what, we're just not going to bother because by the time we spend all this money getting the crew together and start filming, uh, there's no way this thing debuts until 2021, so on and so forth. And for me, that kind of trouble, well, it's troublesome because I look at a show like The Rookie, which resumes its third season tonight. Very good show. This has been one of my surprises of the newer shows. Nathan Fillion is fantastic as always. Last season ended on a cliffhanger. We knew that, uh, as did season one, we knew that it was coming back. And they've been back and they've been filming. But I do remember reading reports that various crew members have been affected by the virus. And this is kind of a situation where I worry that this is going to be a prime example of what may happen. You have a show like this that's going to come back. Well, it's coming back several months later than it usually uh, would appear. How much of the audience is still going to be there? How much is gone? Now, you could play the argument of, well, there's less content for it to compete with. It should be fine. And now you have the shutdown situation. So what happens if we get five, six episodes, and traditionally February is a shutdown period during sweeps weeks, but what happens now if we get five, six episodes and nothing comes back until April? You can see the problem there. You're definitely going to run the risk of losing your audience. You could definitely see a studio saying, oh, the audience isn't what it used to be. Uh, let's just call it good at 13 episodes and, and go from there. So I think you're going to see some shows really struggle because if they can't maintain their audience between the gaps, it's going to be difficult. Now, traditionally, something like this, you say, hey, let's just get them out at WonderCon. Let's go get them to Comic-Con. We'll get the crowds excited again and go from there. Well, hmm, if you're not having conventions, here's the problem. And I, I worry that you're going to see some really good quality shows go because, simply put, they just don't have their audience there anymore. And I would be very curious in this day and age of streaming where people are very used to going to a TV network at a certain time and watching a show. That evolved into DVRs and just set your record button and watch the show which has also become, oh, let's just go on Hulu and watch it the next day. If you're not seeing those commercials, you don't always know that this show is back. And unless it's in your little favorites and pop up in the browse, I worry that stuff's going to get lost in the shuffle. So who knows? Switching gears, we have WandaVision appearing very soon on Disney+. Plus. This is the first Marvel Studios live action uh, series. There have, of course, been uh, various things like Hellstorm and so on that didn't uh, manage uh, to survive, but this is the first one with the direct tie-in to the cinematic universe. So, Justin, what are you expecting for this? Uh, that's a really good question because it, it looks very strange. Um, I, I, it looks really interesting, actually. Um, it's one of those shows that I'm kind of curious to, to see it just because I I think this will be kind of indicative of what Disney's approach will be to all these different TV shows. Um, because when I, when I see the trailers for WandaVision, it does not look like a show that would last longer than like a season or two. Um, because it seems, you know, a lot of shows have a sort of a free form kind of like platform kind of format where, um, 
the show is kind of, you know, they don't really have like a, a specific um, story arc in mind. It's like, okay, we can maybe get this to last like, um, I don't know, maybe a season or two or, or uh, like five seasons or, or whatever. Um, WandaVision looks like it's very, has a very specific plot um kind of like a movie so it it seems like you know maybe they have like one or two seasons in mind and it's really not going to go any any beyond that and you know honestly i'm actually really fine with that kind of idea and that kind of format i i think that um you know a lot of shows unfortunately have good ideas but they sort of run out of steam eventually uh, and you know, eventually you're watching the season of a show and it's like definitely way past its prime and it's not quite as good anymore. And it's sort of just a shame to kind of like see it kind of go downhill. Um, I'm actually kind of on board with the idea of having shows that are sort of just specific. Like they have a very specific plot. They know exactly how long they want the show to be. It's only going to be like a season or two or three and they go in, they tell their story and they're done. Uh, I actually kind of really like that idea. Um, and I really kind of hope that's what they're doing with this. And that seems kind of like what they're doing it. Uh, cause again, the, the plot of this, just based on the trailers, it looks, it looks really kind of like a, about one very specific idea. And once they kind of play that out, that it doesn't seem like it would last much longer than that. So that's kind of where I'm coming from with this. I, I I'm kind of interested in the format. I'm interested in seeing if maybe that's kind of where they're going to take the Marvel cinematic universe in general is with, instead of just purely telling the story through movies, um, you know, as the, cause the movie, again, the movies are really expensive to make and I, you know, the TV shows obviously will be too, but um, you know, we've talked about in the past, there's the ballooning costs of, of, of making movies and having to, you know, basically triple your production budget and if you if you really strike out if you get really unlucky especially in a year like this um that could be really disastrous financially uh, as opposed to a tv show you know tv shows a little bit uh there's more ways to make make your money back it seems like so i wonder if this is kind of where they're going to transition the mcu you know over the next several years is kind of like one to two or three season TV shows that kind of tell kind of longer form stories in this, uh, in this universe and kind of continue the, the entire kind of project that way. It's definitely a way to fill in the gaps without committing to a show, because I think you are going to see a problem as we've discussed in the past with a backlog of Marvel films they are still going full ahead with production on various films but none of the 2020 films made it to theater black widow is still sitting there waiting to be released and at this point it's looking like may of uh this year and that's a good year i think it was actually supposed to come out in march or april so we're looking at a good year beyond when it was supposed to come out and then let's not forget the fact that you still have the Eternals and Shang-Chi that are sitting there, also supposed to have been out by now, that um, are going to have to find a release date. And then as you get further down the order, you have uh, you know Thor's new film, you have the new Doctor Strange film, 
And then, of course, you have the Guardians of the Galaxy, which are coming, and all of these other things that they've announced anywhere from Fantastic Four to the Blade movie to Captain Marvel 2 to Black Panther 2. And so you're going to see this problem where they're either going to have to, once theaters can resume, do four movies a year and hope that you don't, oh, well, let's not forget there, an Ant-Man movie, all of that. Or you're going to have to just spread things out and say, okay, let's do four movies a year instead of three. And, you know, these things are for 2021 or 2022 and 2022 goes back. And then maybe somewhere down the line, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have a situation where for whatever reason we have, uh, oh, say only two movies were going to come out a year. Maybe now we have three because it has been shown that they can sustain three movie releases. But this is a, a very good tool for them to keep various characters in the mix. Case in point, Falcon and uh, Winter Soldier. Now, we never know what cameos and crossovers are coming up down the line, but when you push the buttons, you can say, oh, well, these guys weren't even supposed to be um, in the mix until, um, you know, somewhere way down the line. And this way you can keep the characters fresh. Hawkeye has his series. We're getting Wanda and Vision. So right there you have a core chunk of the Avengers that are coming. We got a Spider-Man movie coming. Who knows what we're going to get to see in that one. Um, and this, I think, is going to be what they're going to have to do. I think they are probably going to have to. Uh, I don't think they're going to move these films to streaming. That's an absolute last resort for them. But I do think they're going to sit there and say, well, what do we have to do in order to keep some of these characters fresh uh, from essentially being forgotten uh, by and large or having the actors and actresses move on to other projects, uh, even though we don't have a cinematic slot for them, say, for three to five years. So here you go. I think that's definitely a very wise way of looking at it. It does look very odd. I mean, obviously, it's supposed to be um, kind of using the theme of sitcoms and stuff from the various ages, which is intriguing. But of course, there'll be the question as to, why are they in there? How did this happen? Who's behind it? And I'm sure there'll be some big twist right at the end to show us that that'll lead into something else. But um, be interesting. Now, uh, staying on the superhero theme, we've had reports that Robert Pattinson, it was well documented that he was assumed to have had COVID and they had to shut down production of Matt Reeves's version of uh, Batman in order to accommodate his well-being and uh, get him back up to speed well now we're hearing reports that the show the film is actually exhausting pattinson uh largely due to the fact that reeves is a perfectionist who is known for doing multiple takes there have been reports that in full batman suit uh pattinson is often required to do up to 50 takes of a scene and he is just physically and mentally exhausted i can tell you Yes, it's been on a much smaller scale, and none of them are, uh, well, all of them combined don't have the budget of this uh, Batman film, but I can tell you uh, the films that I was involved with, it was three to five takes max. I don't think we ever did one more than six or seven takes, and uh, there you have it. Now, combine that with wearing a very heavy and restrictive suit and having to do... 
um, all sorts of activities in said suit, I could see that being draining. So Justin, your take on this. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'll start by saying that I've been a pretty big fan of Matt Reeves's work. Um, you know, since, since his basically his debut, I think he started out, you know, working at bad robot with, um, a lot of JJ Abrams movies. Um, and then, you know, Cloverfield was his first feature film, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I've been a pretty big fan of his just as a director, uh, since, since then, uh, really, I, I liked Cloverfield. Um, and then, you know, let me in, I thought was great. And his work with the, um, the rise of the planet of the apes movies was also just absolutely stellar. So I've been a pretty big fan of his. So, in a, you know, given that, given the quality of his movies, um, you know, it, it doesn't surprise me too much that, uh, he is a perfectionist. You know, a lot of directors who have a pretty good reputation tend to have, um, have that reputation on the side. They have the reputation of being a hardcore perfectionist I and mean, James Cameron, uh, I've heard that he is just notoriously difficult to work with, but you know, obviously he puts out really good films, really well directed films. So, you know, um, that's the one thing that's you know tough about it is you know I feel bad for Robert Pattinson having just gone through COVID and you know having to basically go through fifty takes in a suit. That's tough, but at the same time, you know, at the end of the day, when we go watch the movie, it it might that that perfection might show and. Um, that's really what, you know, people have to really kind of be thinking about is what the longevity of, of the franchise is going to be. Um, and uh, it, it seems like what they, they really want to nail this particular movie, um, make sure it's, it's the best it possibly can be um, so that, you know, going forward that they're able to uh, kind of keep it going and he can, you know, uh, wear, wear that Batman suit for many films to come. Yeah. Very, very interesting indeed, because you are absolutely right. It is, it, it's one of those things where I remember what Michael Dorn of Star Trek, The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine fame said uh, once at a convention. He said, you know, one of the worst things you can ever do to an actor is give them a job. And there was a good laugh about it. And he said, let, let me explain this. Um, and he said, there's a lot of insecurity because you only in many ways feel validated when you're out working. And when your one job ends, if you don't have something else lined up, there can be a lot of insecurity and doubt as to when am I going to work again? Am I going to work again? Um, you know, and then of course you hear the stories and I've heard this from countless actors and actresses where they talk about, this is when you get into that problem of do I take the first thing that comes along or can I afford to say, uh, no, that's not good enough. I remember, um, uh, an actor telling me that, uh, he had done a string of films and they weren't overly good. Charlie Hunan, actually, I'll, I'll go ahead and mention it. This is right before he did Cold Mountain and he, you know, started his climb up Pacific Rim. Uh, he was actually cast in Fifty Shades of Grey and then turned the, the thing down, but that's another story. Um, he talked about, you get to a point where they're offering you a million dollars a movie, 
but the movies that are offered to you are bad. And you have to sit there. He said, you know, you just buy your house and you're eating a dinner of egg and chips going, geez, maybe I should take this money or baked beans on toast, you know, very British stuff. Uh, maybe I should take the money. But then again, there's that old saying about um, $1 million in Hollywood only comes out to a few hundred thousand only. I mean, still a lot of money, but when you don't know, you're not going to work again, higher cost of living, so on and so forth. And he said, you do have that debate, which is the round he went, where he basically said, I'm going to wait until something quality comes along. In his turn, it was Cold Mountain, which was a very small supporting role, but pivotal to the part. Uh, it was a very long and arduous shoot. He talked about being over in Transylvania, not much to do other than go to Dracula's castle. Um, he talked about how at night, I mean, he was very candid. He talked about how at night they would have elaborate street parties and the locals would try to, you know, introduce their daughters to the actors, and the crews and that sort of thing. And he talked about how you'd be out there in wool clothing in heavy, heavy rain, just waiting sometimes days on end for a break so you could get some sunlight and film for a few hours. And he talked about they were on such an extended hiatus once that due to the weather, they were shut down. And he was fortunate enough that Nicole Kidman invited him to fly back on her private plane uh, so we could go stateside, you know, for a break. And so the whole point of it is you never know what you're going to get when you get into a shoot. And Mike, getting back to Michael Doran, he had talked about, you know, when he was offered to resume the role of Worf for Deep Space Nine, he'd already knew that he would be continuing it for the various next generation movies. He said, naturally, you know, they make a very good financial offer to you. You jump at the chance. And then the reality sets in. Oh God, I'm getting up at the crack of dawn to sit in that makeup chair to have all that makeup applied on. And after a long, hard day of filming, after everybody's gone home, I get to go back to the makeup chair and have it taken off. So he said, that's where you get back to the, you know, the worst thing you can do for an actor and actress is give them a part. And essentially this is what you have for Pattinson. You have a case where most people if they offered you a chance to play a franchise character, and if you didn't worry about being typecast, would look at it and say, well, geez, you know, financially I'm going to be set for uh, doing these films. And then there's the merchandising. And let's be honest, even if my career completely goes, you know, kaput, I'll be able to make a very good living for the rest of my life, going to conventions, making appearances, signing autographs, that sort of thing. Sounds like a good plan. But then the reality comes in of, wow, I'm wearing this 50, 60 pound suit. I can't turn my head properly. I can't go to the restroom easily. And oh boy, I, I, you know, I remember Michael Keaton talking about the original Batman and saying that it was like having your neck in a vice. You couldn't turn your head. And you're, you know, the cape alone, I think he said the cape alone was like 50 pounds. And you're out here and they're telling you spin and kick and punch and jump. And, you know, you're essentially wearing this heavy, heavy and restrictive thing on your back. Add to it the hot lights, add to it the environment, uh, you know, if you're outside in the rain and so on and so forth. And I could see it, which is ironic because, you know, what, what did Michael Keaton ask for when he came back to do the role? Make the suit more comfortable, make the suit more accessible. 
And I think this is exactly that. And then you add to it where you go in thinking, you know, I'm prepared, I'm ready, three to five takes, let's go. And you're 50 takes in with this weight on your back. Yeah, scary, scary indeed. Um, you know, and then let's be honest, there have been reports that he wasn't doing a training regiment. He basically felt I'm in good enough shape and the, um, you know, requirements of the role will keep me in said shape. Well, here we go. Last thing I wanted to talk about today was ray tracing. This is the big technology. We just put an EVGA 3070 card in our uh, main system here. And ironically, one of the first things, I have somebody that likes to leave some real snarky comments to our videos on um, YouTube. And the first thing they said was, boy, this looks like blank. Uh, ray tracing isn't even turned on. And I had to tell them, A, is every comment you make negative? And B, do a little research. The game doesn't support ray tracing. So, Justin, tell us a little bit about ray tracing and when we can expect mass adoption of it. Um, so, ray tracing is basically a lighting render uh, rendering um, technique that uh, is a little bit closer to um, the way real light works. Um, so, basically, um, to kind of go back a little bit, the way that... Um, dynamic lighting has worked in video games for uh god since like 2000 early 2000s um basically uh you have a light source and it can project light into an environment uh kind of like the way real light does but basically um you know one thing we take for granted is that a, a lot of that it doesn't actually work the way real light works in real life because um you know approximating the way real light works uh is is uh takes a lot of uh of hardware power and um very advanced um coding in order to basically uh shoot out a bunch of um rays and then trace where they go which is exactly where the term ray tracing comes from so the way dynamic lighting has worked is uh you have a light source and everything in the environment is sort of approximates um, the way that that light, um, you know, would, would impact that particular object. Um, so, you know, obviously we, we've had some really good looking games for the past like decade or so, even, you know, even without ray tracing, but you, you tend to have some problems um, that, you know, we've just had to live with for the past uh many 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 years particularly with like uh shadowed areas where you have sort of ambient light in a um in an environment um but you have a shadowed area and in, uh, i point to if you go watch the the uh, gameplay trailer that a lot of people were really upset with for halo infinite um that video that video really really well um exemplifies the problem with modern lighting technology um, because if you watch, if you watch that whole demo, that whole demo is mostly, mostly takes place in a shaded area and during daytime, which is the worst possible place for dynamic lighting. Um, because we've done, a, or a lot of developers have, have done like these workarounds with, um, different techniques to try to, uh, 
to try to get that right, but it, it ends up like, you know, making textures look flat and not well lit because basically you're, you're dealing with indirect light uh, and you're trying to um, approximate indirect light in a shaded area, uh, which is just incredibly difficult to do. So what ray tracing does instead is it, um, you have a, a dynamic light source and it actually shoots out rays and then the, uh, the renderer is able to kind of like um, track where the, the rays of light go and how they bounce around an environment the way that real light does and get, get pretty close to how real light actually works. Um, you know, obviously there's some physics and stuff that we can't really do yet, but for the purposes of a video game, um, ray tracing does an incredibly good job. The problem is that, uh, again, it is incredibly hardware intensive. You have to have a really good um, video card with a lot of memory uh, in order to do it. And the game has to be coded for it. As you, as you mentioned, a lot, of, um, a lot of renderers and a lot of game engines don't even support it. So even if you do have a card that supports ray tracing, you really have to have a, a game that also supports it as well. I mean, they have to, they have to actually code the game to render light that way. And, you know, you can't just tell a game to do that, that developers have to do it. And then you have to basically have a card that is able to, uh, able to do that as well. So, uh, the answer to your second question, when can we expect, you know, mass adoption of it? Um, honestly, I think we're still pretty far off. Um, most people don't have a card. I don't have a card that supports ray tracing. I want to get one, but even then it's very expensive. Um, and, you know, mass adoption is, is basically when, you know, somebody can go and pick up a computer for a couple hundred dollars and uh, support the technology that you're looking for. That, that's what I would consider mass adoption. And I think we're, we're still several years away from that. Now, um, one caveat, uh, I probably should have said this at the beginning. The way I described all this stuff might not be 100% accurate. So if, if people listening, um, if I, you know, explain something incorrectly, uh, I apologize, but, um, you know, th that's ba basically ray tracing as I understand it. Yeah. What's interesting about this is that, uh, you have games and I've had people, like I said, people were like, well, I'll just flat out say it. Why didn't your division two gameplay have ray tracing on it? Well, because the game doesn't support ray tracing. You know, they, they said it would, in the past, but remember, in the pre-COVID era, a lot of things were promised that haven't come to fruition. And, you know, there were people saying, well, of course it doesn't. It's an older game, and uh, they're not going to massively rework the engine at this point to add something when their focus is keeping new content up. And one of the games that I uh, wanted to stress was... Um, we were talking about Doom Eternal. Now, there was a game who, at launch, they promised it would support ray tracing. And depending on uh, who you ask, many people say, well, it's still not there. You know, we, we heard it was coming, but it's not there. Um, I remember on the 2070 card that I had before I upgraded to uh, the 3070, uh, a lot of people were saying, well, um, you know, Battlefield 5 supports ray tracing. Yeah, and I can tell you it ran like garbage. Not 
just did, you know, everything was slow. Everything was difficult because like anything else, newer project. And so, you know, I, I'm sitting here like to give you an example, Justin, let me just spit this off for you right now. And right now I'm only going to talk about uh, NVIDIA and Windows. I'm not going to be talking about other formats or the AMD. So what we got here is these are the games that are supposed to support it. A Medieval, Atomic Heart, which has been talked about forever, still not out. Battlefield 5, Boundary is supposed to offer it. That's the Zero-G uh, space shooter. Bright Memory Infinite, Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War and Modern Warfare. Control, Cyberpunk, Deliver Us the Moon, Dirt 5. Now, supposedly, Doom Eternal, Dying Light 2, Enlisted, and perhaps Far Cry 6 will have it. We don't know. Fortnite has it. Ghost Runner has it. Godfall is supposed to have it. Uh, Justice Online, JX Online 3, Mech Warrior 5, Mercenaries, Metro Exodus, Minecraft Bedrock Addiction, Moonlight Blade, Observer System Redo, Pumpkin Jack, Quake 2, Maybe Rift Breaker, Ring of Elysium, Shadow of the Tomb Raider, Stay in the Night, uh, Vampire the Masquerade's Bloodline, supposedly, Watchdog Legion, uh, The Witcher 3, Complete Edition, supposedly will have it, Wolfenstein Youngblood, World of Warcraft Shadowlands, and Jean Yuan Sword 7. So as you can see, that is not, you know, uh, maybe I missed something. I didn't hear Tom Clancy's The Division 2 anywhere on there. And, you know, when you get to consoles, it's even crazier because, like, um, Black Ops Cold War does support it on Series X and PlayStation 5, unknown on Series S. Uh, you know, it, it's funny. You go through the list here. Uh, okay, Call of the Sea, Chorus Rises 1, Cyberpunk, Upcoming, Upcoming. So it's not listed there. And, you know, just taking a more, um, what do you call it, uh, oomph title. Gran Turismo 5 is supposed to have it. Gears 5 is supposed to have it. Uh, Maneater supposedly supports it on next-gen consoles. And Spider-Man Miles Morales, Spider-Man Remastered has it. Watchdog Legion. So right now, you still don't know. It's it's not a gigantic list. And I think you summed it up perfectly well because A, it's the amount of work it's going to take to get it done. And B, let's be honest, most people do not have the hardware in order to run it. Now, uh, I think while they say it may be two months or so until the three zero cards are readily available that people can go out and get which would make it easier to adopt for PCs. The big argument is, well, the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X, they support ray tracing, so why don't we have it? And my argument would be, uh, last time I checked, they were still having a problem getting those to market as well. So what do we think, in another year? Yeah, and even then, you know, um, Again, it, it comes down to like the, the companies that are making the games have to also put it in their game. So a game that comes out for Xbox Series X doesn't necessarily, and, and just because the hardware supports it, it doesn't mean that the game is going to. Um, it just means that they're able to put it in there if, if, if they show choose. And that's a, lot of, uh, that's a lot of resources and man hours to, you know, if they have an engine that, you know, 
may may not support it they they have to kind of make that make that call like oh can it, it really t- comes down to the to the vision of the game i mean you look at a game like last of us part two which looks fantastic um that game does not have ray tracing but it has really good lighting and the reason why is because most of the game is uh you know it's not a dynamic i mean there's dynamic lighting but it's not a large open world that has you know changing lighting conditions you basically go to a specific area of the game and um you know it's it's not it's going to be the one set time of day that that part of the game is supposed to be um so it's static in in that sense so basically every portion of the game is is exactly as the artist wants it to look the problem that the, the big benefit of ray tracing is mostly for games that have uh, settings and scenarios that, that have to change dynamically. So you have like a day night cycle or, you know, you have um, players that are able to actually affect like the way the light looks in a particular environment. Um, it doesn't make sense for, for everybody to add ray tracing to their, to their game. If, you know, if it's not really going to add a, a whole lot to the end product. So what would you say for a layman, what would be the disadvantages to having it? For example, on a closed system like a console, do they have to give up frame rates for it? Or what would you say is the, I mean, obviously the better your hardware, the more likely you don't have to give up things. But for a layman, what would you say is the, you know, the, the, the con side of having it if you have the hardware? Uh, you know, I think you actually hit it right, right on the head. It, it really does. It's going to, it's going to tax your, uh, everything else because it, it's very, you know, it's very hardware intensive on, on the GPU and, and its memory. So, um, so yeah, I mean, you basically, you're, you're playing this balance game between do I, what, uh, do I prioritize frame rate? Do I prioritize fidelity or do I prioritize like resolution? Um, you know, if you have like a, a complete beast of a system that like a, like a custom built computer, you can have all of those things. You can have a 4k, um, you know, ray traced game that looks fantastic. That has six, that hits 60 frames per second. It's probably going to cost a lot of money, but for the consoles, um, I, I don't know for sure because I don't have the, the PS five or, or the Xbox series X, so, and I haven't watched a lot with like, um, you know, different hardware tests and usually the games that come out on consoles don't, they don't usually have a ton of different graphics options, uh, for you to change. They usually just have like performance mode and like, um, you know, good looking mode, I guess, uh, for lack of a better, better term. Um, but I would imagine that a lot of, some of the games that are coming out with ray tracing, that's really going to be the balance is, um, you know, you can make it look really good or you can have it um, 60 frames per second. And maybe the one of the variables is going to be whether you have a 4K uh, television or not. Because I, I would imagine that even with a console, for the amount of money that they're, that they're costing, it, it's probably going to be difficult to hit 4K, 60 frames per second, and ray tracing um, in like a dynamic world all at the same time. I, I could be wrong. Cause again, I don't have the consoles and I haven't done any of these testings or I haven't watched much, you know, stress tests with, with the hardware in these systems. So I could be wrong, but I would imagine that is the trade-off that you're really going to have to kind of 
pick what, what, what's your priority. And um, if 60 frames per second is your priority, then, you know, ray tracing might not be, uh, might not be in the cards. Yeah, definitely a lot of stuff to keep an eye on for sure. And that is going to do it for us this week. Next week, we hope to have the whole crew back together and do our CES preview. Um, we have some pre-show stuff actually next week that we're going to be doing under embargo and then on to the main thing. But until then, folks, take care and we will talk to you very, very soon. Be safe and take care.